Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. All right, welcome back, my friends, to episode 31 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. How are you doing today, Gary? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, so tell me, what do we got on tap here for episode 31, Byron? We've got Daniel Coyle, uh, for you guys, a New York Times bestselling author. Are you kidding me? A New York Times bestselling author wrote a book about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? That's awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, well, not quite like that. It's not really how it goes out. He wrote, he's wrote several books. Um, the Talent Code is one of my favorite books. And then he also came out with this newer book uh, recently called The Little Book of Talent. Basically, he goes around and studies any sport or, or physical activity um, that people do very well at coming coming like out of nowhere. And and he'll go and he'll, he'll study how they train and, and how they how they get better. So such a wide variety of, of uh, experience as far as across the across the board in sports. He's he's very knowledgeable and, and scientific with his breakdown about how to develop talent and and get better at sports. So I was I'm happy to have we're happy to have him on. It's it's an amazing interview. Okay. Yeah, I remember uh, you talking about him before. Talked about him on an episode. I remember the uh, uh, talking about Milan. Yeah. yeah. It, if you guys enjoy this interview, strongly recommend um, b- both those books I mentioned. I would say that the Talent Code is a funner. It's real fun to read. It's got like really interesting stories about how um, these groups are finding or developing their talent all over the world. And then the the little book of of talent um, is more of just like little tips that help you develop your own talent. So they're both very practical. Um, but yeah, the myelin. So at the beginning of the interview, I have him give some definitions like myelin, and he's got some terms like deep practice and talent hotbed and stuff like that. So I we, we run through some basic definitions to get everybody up to speed about if you haven't read his book, you'll be fine. And if you have read him, it's just even more enjoyable to hear him talk because it all makes sense. And, and it's kind of, it is fun to hear him mash his ideas into the jujitsu world. And, and they make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, definitely. That's a, uh... That's a unique way of you know thinking about training there, and and I'm excited for this interview. It's kind of funny because he's an outsider looking into this uh, to this world. Remember, like the ten thousand hours thing that came out a while back. Yeah, yep, ten thousand hours to perfect a move and you know perfect something you know. To, to master a skill, basically. Yeah. Um, yep. And and he and there's some validity to that, and we do talk about that during the interview. But there's also. He said, you know, I mentioned that, that that hit this community, the Jiu-Jitsu community, pretty hard. And, and guys really want to get 10,000 hours. And he said that that hit most sports communities hard. And, 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 and so there's like this wave of people in different communities wanting to just clock in and get 10,000 hours without really focusing or, or uh, having much point to their actual practice and, and training. And it really hasn't been all that yeah, productive for of- some people. Yeah, I was going to say that's probably counterproductive. You're just going through the motions instead of putting uh, a goal behind it and uh, trying to uh, figure out how to get better. So absolutely fascinating interview. Um, he's not a black belt. He's never even been on the mat. He knew what jiu-jitsu was, and, and, and we talked about that before we started the interview. Um, so he's got some knowledge base, but he's just an expert. He's a world-class person about how to develop talent. 
we've got them on the show for you guys. It's going to be an amazing episode. It might change some of the basic ideas you have about training. Uh, that's awesome, Byron. Um, we've got to thank our sponsor for today, um, FujiSports.com. We have a coupon code, capital BJJ. All those are capital and one more capital B for brick. Capital uh, BJJ brick. Get you 10% off. Um, if you're new to this sport, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of new people to the sport listening to the episode today because of uh, Daniel Coyle, the interview, um, and you, and you want to try out the sport, swing by there, check out their all-around gi. It's a real basic, uh, highly functional gi that will get you many years of use out of it. And that's about all you need to start with is a gi. Yeah, that's basically all you need. Uh, they've got very good gis. Uh a uh, great place to uh, pick up your first ski or or your competition ski, uh, fujisports.com. We've got a quote of the week from Ryan Hall here. I'll go ahead and, and roll that for us. Excellence is not an act, but a habit. We all repeatedly do. Um, you know, it's it's an Aristotle quote, you know, reminding us that you, you're not in a state of excellence or a state of anything. You're simply, you are ultimately what you do. I am not what I think or what I say. I'm, I'm, I'm the actions that I perform. And if I want to have high level of anything it takes constant practice it takes whatever else but no one a lot of times we think of ourselves as like oh so-and-so is good so-and-so is not good or so-and-so is the best or smart or whatever you know ultimately in my experience the people that are the most successful are the people that are you know over the long haul are the, are the people that simply focus on again what they can do and they they form good habits for success and they work hard and they they control those habits and uh and again it's just for fall where they will but recognizing that someone telling me I'm good means nothing. All I need to do is do things that contribute to a positive outcome, and, and ultimately I will become that outcome. Completely. And that was Ryan Hall from last week's interview. You know, the funny thing is I um, opened up my, my my books I had from uh, Daniel Coyle, the, the Talent Code and the Little Book of Talent, and in like the first three pages, maybe the fourth page, you know, before the book really starts, of the little book of talent is that same exact quote that Ryan Hall was talking about. You know, we are we are <laughs> yeah, what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act but a habit. So that's just yeah, that's a it's an amazing coincidence as far as that being there in the right place at, at the same time that, that Ryan Hall shared it with us. And it's true. Um, if you keep, it's like you know, you fight the way you train. Um, yeah, definitely. You've got to, uh, you know, put yourself in those positions, you know, uh, train hard. Uh, if you're just going through the motions, uh, that's how you're going to, that's how you're going to fight. That's how you're going to grapple. You, uh, you know, you, you've, as you said, you fight how you train. So, so yeah, keep repeatedly training hard and smart and, and, and develop your game. And you're going to learn a lot about that today. About uh, about developing yourself as a athlete, or I mean, this is one of those great episodes that's good for on and off the mat. I could apply these these things that we're talking about in today's interview uh, to my job as a firefighter, and Gary could do, to apply them to himself um, as a, as coach. You know, if he's coaching wrestling or if he's at work at his job at the bank, it's just developing yourself um, and getting better at something. Yeah, definitely. You know, we're getting better at something. You're going to make mistakes. I'll make the mistakes, you know, every day. All You know, every day there's going to be a mistake made. But, you know, you've got to look at that mistake as a learning learning process. You know, we're all going to make mistakes. But if we, you know, keep an open mind, use those mistakes, we're going to just get better. Like you said, either at jiu-jitsu or I'm going to get better at banking. You're going to get better at firefighting. Uh, you know, everybody's going to get better at their given profession. Gary, we've got, we strategically picked the article this week. 
Um, usually we just pick a, ra- a, good a random article. article, but this one we we really wanted to introduce the jiu-jitsu world to people um, who are Daniel Coyle's audience that are listening to this, to listen to him, to get to get it shown to more people. So we've got an article. It's on grapplearts.com. Uh, starting BJJ, what to expect on your first class. And and that's a big thing is I hear one of the first questions I hear when, you know, I'm trying to tell somebody about jujitsu or trying to bring them along to a class is, hey, what should I expect? It, it's it's scary, your first class. You know, a lot of times uh, people are confusing uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu with MMA. And, you know, a lot of times people think of them as the same. And, and they're like, whoa, am I going to get my, you know, teeth knocked out? Am I going to get my nose broken? Uh, or if they do know what jiu-jitsu are, is, you know, they're, they're worried about getting put to sleep, worried about getting their arm hyperextended. So it, it's always, it's a question that most people have, and sometimes they're afraid to ask. Absolutely. And the beauty of it is that there's there's many, many Jiu-Jitsu schools around the world. And from what I've seen, most of them operate the same way. You know, they, they kind of have the same format and the same attitude and the same culture throughout the different uh, schools around the world. So this, I don't know where you are, but if you're thinking about doing Jiu-Jitsu for the first time, this would be a great article to kind of walk you through what to expect. He covers... Um, you know, just visiting the school on a day and just kind of watching, and, and that'll help you get rid of some of your nerves. Um, he gives advice on what to wear the first day you come in to train. Yeah, and, and I really like, uh, you know, what you said first, you know, about the visiting. You know, I think a lot of times it's it's just visiting the class, watching, you know, talking to the instructor maybe before and afterwards, and, and maybe even talking to a couple of students. I think that's going to definitely make somebody a little more at ease. Um, but and then, like you said, then he goes talks about what to wear. I mean, you don't want to show up in a, in a suit of armor uh, the first time. <laughs> You're probably going to get laughed out of the place, and nobody's going to roll with you because they're afraid to get hurt. And, and I mean, a lot of people have no clue. You know, they may be a basketball player used to wearing long baggy shorts. You know, that have pockets in them. You know, and and it's it's good to know what to wear. They, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the baggy shorts or pockets are going to lead to broken fingers and broken toes. And you know, without being told that, um, you know, they're they're not going to know. Yeah, it's it's not a hard sport to to get into or to try, but it's good to to have some basic idea what you're getting into. It'll help you, make you more comfortable and make the experience more enjoyable. He also breaks down the basic class uh, format. You know, there's Usually warm-ups, um, followed by some technique uh, technique portion of the class, and then um, most classes will have some sparring at the end of it, which you may or may not be doing on your first day if that's something that you're doing. Yeah, and, and some schools will put you right in, in right off the bat, but they'll normally put you with a higher-level guy who's going to take care of you and make sure you don't get hurt and, you know, slow the pace down a little bit. G- Gary, you got to... Go ahead. I, I got. If I'm new, I got. I'm wondering why am I getting the higher level guy if he's to not hurt me? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was going to say I hear that question a lot, and that is a great question there. Um, normally, what happens if you put two beginners together? You know, and I don't totally like to characterize people, but a lot of times a beginner, you know, might have that ego. You know, has watched the UFC a little bit and think they're a little bit better, and, and you know, a lot of times two people don't know that much and think they know more than they do leads to injuries. Uh, people are going a little too hard, cranking a submission that's really not a submission. Um, so injuries can happen. But if you put that brand new guy against somebody who's been training a while, has a high high skill level, that person 
can train safely. Uh, they're going to make sure if we're, there's any bad positions, they're, they're going to get out of that position. You know, it's like sometimes if somebody starts inverting, uh, you know, and his neck's getting caught, he's going to pull him back to safety. So, so just a, a higher skill level guy is going to make the training that much more safe and enjoyable. Absolutely. It may seem strange at first to get paired up with the more experienced guys, but they'll be able to keep you from hurting yourself or hurting them. Yep. Yep. Yeah. The article also covers some real basic rules, which are a good idea. Uh, to They're just real, real basic ones. You don't want to make anybody unhappy with you because it, uh, it, it can be a, a, an environment where um, you're, you know, each other's safety is in, in the other guy's hands. So um, respect that. You know, and these are just real simple rules they have. And then he also talks about tapping and how important that is, and that's a safety mechanism. And and that's the hard part when you first start. Uh, you know, a lot of times somebody might think they're a little bit better. You know, they they beat up their little brother or their sister, and you know, from watching the UFC, and they come in and and they're not used to tapping. You know, after training with their little brother, and and they don't think that it's going to happen in this class. And and you know, that ego. Um, Basically, that ego should be your, you know, is not your friend. Uh, you are gonna have to tap to keep yourself safe, and uh, it's very, very important just to uh, learn to tap. You know, and another point, uh, you know, we kind of skipped over it, but I'd also like to go back to it as kind of the start of the article there uh, about good hygiene. And uh, I mean, that does mean keeping yourself clean and uh, not smelling, because uh, nobody really wants to train with a guy who smells or has ringworm, but. You know, one of the big things I think people forget about is is toenails and fingernails. You know, make sure your toenails and fingernails are are a clip short. Uh, you know, no jagged toenails or or I'm not saying you got to go out and get a manicure or a pedicure, um, which I know Byron does. But you got we that just right. need to, yeah, just need to keep them you know short. And the reason for that is a lot of times you'll train with somebody and you come back and jump in the shower after you're training because you want to have good hygiene and you start taking a shower and you, you just look down at your feet or your hands and, and they're just lit up with, uh, you know, fingernail size cuts all over your body. And, uh, so that's definitely going to save uh, your partner from getting an infection or, or a bunch of small cuts. Yeah. And that's a rarity that you would come home with that sort of a, a thing, but it does happen. And it's, it's not your fault. It's the fault of the person with the long nails. Yeah. Um, and you don't want to, you, it's hard to tell somebody that they stink and that they, they don't. Uh, they're not clean, but the nails is a little easier. Hey, here's some some clippers. Trim them up, buddy. But yeah, come in there yeah. clean. It's a it's a sport with close personal contact. Um, you want to you want to be clean and respectful to the people that you're training with. Yeah, and you know a lot of times you know especially after you start training, make sure you wash that gi. You know when you do become addicted to the sport, you know wash that gi because <laughs> that gi if you don't wash it with all that sweat is going to harbor you know impetigo ringworm. And you're going to give it to your training partner. So, you know, definitely keep that ghee washed and, and yourself washed. Yeah, and but I would say that it's not – if you get into the habit of 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 coming home, washing your ghee, taking a shower, getting clean, not a problem. You're going to be fine. It's, it's yeah. the guys that come home and, and watch TV for two hours or do homework or whatever and then go take a shower or go to bed. I can't imagine going to bed without taking a shower. but And then they don't wash their ghee. That's a problem. I mean, yeah, real basic stuff take, here. Don't – don't leave it in your gym bag all weekend and then pull it out on Monday and train with it. It's not a good idea. No one's gonna no one's gonna want to train with you. <laughs> that is true. 
there is also there's some more stuff in the article here, and it's this is a fantastic article. If you've got a friend who's interested in jujitsu, forward it to him. It's a good way to say, hey, here's you know, without having to explain everything, you know, one on one, this will get him a good ground rules. But they they have a glossary at the end too that breaks down a lot of basic terms that they're going to hear, and that may be confusing. It's, I mean, they're technical, they're jujitsu jargon, I guess, would be an easy way to say it. Yeah. And a lot of times people won't know, you know, what a lot of those things mean. You know, they may hear UPA, you know, during class, and they're like, hey, what's that mean? Or, or no gi, you know, really, what's that mean? And and that, that little uh, glossary there at the at the end there I thought was really neat. I remember the first time um, I was I was talking about no gi with my wife many years ago, and she had no idea. Like, she remember, like, the the when you wrap up your – your buddy's head in a headlock and you rub their hair with they call it a noogie a noogie yeah, yeah she had no idea what it was going. she's like why are you saying noogie like what that doesn't make any sense <laughs> oh that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> so maybe i'll forward her this list yeah, although she knows more no about it now gi, but <laughs> not she did not uh i mean that's that's a common thing with any, any yeah. anything with jargon is going to catch people off guard yep that is true this article is posted by Stephen casting on uh, grapplearts.com it was written by Matt Curley. Outstanding job, guys. If you would like to send us an article that we would talk about on the air, that would be great. Uh, our email is uh, bjjbrick at gmail.com. We'd be happy to communicate with you. If you have a, an article for us or a question or comment, that would be great. Yeah, we definitely like to uh, uh, put our readers' articles out there. And uh, So if you have something, get it to us, and uh, we'll read it and uh, try to get it on the air. So I'd like to introduce you guys to... Our interview of this week, uh, Mr. Daniel Coyle. He is best New York Times bestselling author of The Talent Code, The Little Book of Talent. He has a few more books out there, but he is one of the leading authorities on how to develop uh, talent in any particular any in any in sport, industry, or music, or learning. Um, his philosophies are, are top notch, world class. He he studied this for many years, and he has a very scientific approach towards. Uh, developing uh, skills and talents. So thank you uh, for joining us on the podcast this week, Mr. Coyle. How are you doing today? Pretty good, thanks. Byron, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited to have you on here. I've talked about your books before on, on previous uh, podcasts, and uh, I know my audience is happy to have you and, and learn from you. Ah, thanks. It's good to be here, man. <laughs> I think we should start off uh, by talking about a few basic definitions so we can get some some ground uh, rules, or not ground rules, some groundwork laid to just have this conversation with people that may not have read your books yet. Um, you study talent hotbeds. Uh, what is a talent hotbed? Well, it's a place, you know, that has got uh, unusual, extraordinary concentration of high performers. You know, it's the kind of place, if you're a sports fan, you always hear about a little town in the Dominican that produces all these shortstops. If you're into chess, you know about these places in Russia. If you're into music, you know about these, uh, these certain music camps in upstate New York that are just amazing. And, when you look closely at these places, as, as I did, I spent a, gosh, it's been a few years since I've been visiting, uh, studying them since about 2007. I've been studying them and visiting as many as I can, and you start to see patterns. You start to see patterns of practice, patterns of motivation, patterns of coaching, and all those patterns line up because, as I as I sort of put forth in the book, you know, the human brain is built to learn in certain ways, uh, no matter what it is you're learning. Um, you know, we talk a lot about muscle memory in, in learning. We talk, you know, we think about a certain move as as being muscle memory. Well, in fact, 
muscle memory all exists in the in the circuits of our brain in our nervous system. So um, these places are extraordinarily good at building great muscle memory in a very short amount of time. And so that's what that's what the book is about. It's about kind of seeing what that pattern is and and trying to uh, take from that kind of a blueprint for how to learn skill, how to acquire skill very quickly, very efficiently, and how to design ideal environments to do that. So you mentioned muscle memory. That's not – that's all in your head. There's no actual the, – the myth that your muscles learning what to do is not – it's not, it's not a real thing. You know, as, as, as the neurologist told me, muscles are, are essentially pretty dumb. They do whatever the brain tells them to do. So when you see a beautiful act, you know, somebody making a beautiful move or somebody playing a beautiful guitar solo, their muscles are moving, of course, but it's their brain that's telling them exactly how much to contract, exactly when to contract, exactly doing the right thing at the right time. So what you're seeing is beautiful electricity. You know, you're seeing this perfectly built electrical circuit that's executing the move. And so that's kind of the, the different lens to put over skill and to put over, in your case, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, this idea that you need to create an environment where you can make the right connection in your brain and make those circuits move very, very quickly. And that's what skill is. Now, what's the, another definition I want to get on there is myelin. Mm-hmm. Um, could you explain what that is and how that has to how that affects the muscle memory? You bet. Yeah, we we probably remember the term myelin uh, from our biology classes. That term myelin sheath. Well, it turns out it's very important in the skill acquisition process because when you repeat something intensely, when you operate on the edge of your ability and repeat something really intensely, you get more of this stuff. And this myelin wraps the electrical circuits of your brain exactly in the same way that electrical tape wraps a, a wire, or that uh, you'd wrap a, you know an electrical an electrical wire with with tape or with insulation. And because it, its function is to make that signal move faster and more accurately. And for many years, myelin was thought to be inert. It was thought not to be interesting by science. It turns out that was a huge mistake. It turns out that myelin is actually really, really interesting because when you practice intensively, you actually earn more myelin. Those wraps, it wraps thicker and thicker and thicker. And when it wraps thicker and thicker and thicker, the signal speed goes way up and the accuracy goes way up. So you get accuracy and you get speed and you get power by by practice this is why practice is effective you know we always are told that you know practice makes perfect well a scientist would would make a slight edit to that they would say practice makes myelin and myelin makes perfect so when you look at it this way doing intensive repetition we think of that as being kind of drudge work you know we think of doing 20 reps as being um sort of you know, necessary, but, but difficult and robotic. Um, but in fact, if you do those reps in the right way, you can get a tremendous amount of benefit out of them. Uh, repetition isn't just sort of boring. It's incredibly powerful and operating on the edge of your ability when you're making mistakes and fixing them is, is the sweet spot. That's what, you know, scientists call it. When you operate on the edge of your ability, make new mistakes and fix it, you're making new connections in your brain. So when you combine these things, this idea of reaching and repetition together, those are the patterns that we see in the talent hotbeds, and those are the patterns that lead to high-speed skill acquisition. So the, I'm trying to picture myelin in my in my mind's eye. You have two neurons in your brain. I'm trying. I'm, I guess I'll dumb it down for my own sake. And when when I let's say I'm learning how to walk for the first time. Yep. A little strand will go from that one neuron to the other one, and that will be wrapped in a tiny bit of myelin. And I'll lose my balance and I'll fall. Yep. 
And then the second time I try to walk again, it's the same basic, like maybe a little bit more myelin. And after, you know, three or four years or, you know, 34 like me, that that has been wrapped by myelin. I don't know if it continues to wrap it, wrap it, but I don't have to think about walking anymore because that is so robust and it conducts the electricity so well. Is that an accurate way to explain? I think that's fair enough. You, you've automated it. You know, you've built this beautiful circuit that you now have automated. Now your brain can work on other stuff. And and the other thing that I'd add to that is every time you stumbled when you started to walk, every yeah. time you stumbled and, and messed up and realized you messed up and felt that, like that mistake is a gift. That mistake gives you an opportunity to fix the wiring. Like you were walking wrong. Well, now you, because of that mistake, you've got the opportunity to build a correct wiring. So that's really, I think, the, the, the worldview switch that happens when you start seeing the world through this scientific eye, which is, you know, those mistakes are leverage points on which skill is built. Those mistakes are information that helps you navigate uh, to a better solution and to a better circuitry. So, you know, the takeaway is designing practice spaces so that you can maximize repetition and maximize these productive sort of mistakes where you're on the edge of your ability, making mistakes, realizing it, fixing it again. There's a beautiful example um, in the book. The book begins with a story of a, a girl practicing music, and her name's Clarissa, and she's 15, and she plays two songs. And then she was part of this study where they videotaped her practice for years. So they, they really could track these moments where she really acquired skill very, very quickly. And she plays two songs. And the first song she plays is straight through. She doesn't pay attention to mistakes. She kind of glazes right past them. Second song, she plays it. And she plays a little and she makes a mistake and she just feels that mistake. It's like when you're watching the videotape, it's like there's electricity being shot through the keys of the, of the clarinet. And she winces and she goes back and she plays a little bit further and she gets to another mistake and she feels it. In the five minutes that she practices this second way where she's like on the edge of her ability making mistakes and feeling them, she accomplishes ten times more practice. She, she acquires skill ten times faster. So – there's, once we realize that all practice is not created equal, when you are intensively repeating and intensively reaching, I mean, I guess it comes down to that word reach. Um, that is where your brain, you're making new connections and you're insulating those connections. So they fire faster and faster and more accurately, more accurately. And, um, and that practice, which is thought of as being kind of dull, becomes tremendously exciting, actually, because that's where it's a construction zone. Is that this... I'm looking at the word uh, deep practice. Yeah. Um, when you're reaching, are you necessarily in deep practice or is that a chance for you to be there? Um, that's exactly. where you're going to build most exactly. myelin. That is what deep practice, all practice is not created equal, but deep practice. And that's what we see in the in the talent hotbeds. And that's where we see production, you know, really uh, skill acquisition accelerating tremendously is when you get yourself in that sweet spot where you're making a mistake, feeling that mistake and reaching again toward the target. Um, that's a hard place to hang out, actually. It's difficult emotionally to sort of be struggling like that. And we've always thought of being willing to struggle as as being a useful thing. Um, but this shows just how spectacularly useful it is. I mean, being willing to be stupid is really kind of an essential part of it. You know, Wayne Gretzky, when he was at the top of his game, best hockey player who ever walked the planet – would be skating by himself during practice and his teammates would see him fall down. He, he's the best hockey player in the world, one of the best skaters in the world, but he would put himself in positions in practice where he would be on the edge of his blade and a little too far. 
And, and what the science would suggest is that's exactly why he was so good because he spent a tremendous amount of time in the sweet spot being willing to look stupid, being willing to fall down, being willing to make a mistake and embracing those mistakes not as a verdict on him but as information he used to get better. I, I think of that in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu context as being, being willing to train with people who push you harder mm-hmm. and being willing to put myself in, in positions where I'm, I'm tested and I'm not comfortable and in, in trying, to, trying to do better um, from a, a place where I'm not comfortable, I guess. Being comfortable, being uncomfortable is kind of the, the key that you hear in a lot of these, in a lot of these things, which is, it's immensely hard when you're just like playing chess or playing music. I can only imagine how hard that must be like when you're in a combat situation, like in your sport. I mean, the kind of emotional strength it would take to kind of put yourself in that position over and over and, and trusting that you'll do better, um, each time it's, it, that's really, really hard, but it's also, it's the path forward. Absolutely. That's that's one thing that is um, sometimes different than other martial arts where they don't um, actively com- – uh, we spar a lot, I guess is one way to say it. Um, injury, you know, injuries happen, but they're not very – it's not a uh, a striking sport, so we're not getting hit a lot. We're just, we're just trying out these moves, um, and the struggle is always there. Um, so it, it does have a potential for a lot of growth. Because you're you're sparring with people who are better than you, people that aren't as good as you, and and there's a lot of um, give and take in areas where you could learn, and then areas where this I learned this and now it doesn't work at all on this guy. Um, I'm going to break down the, a typical class structure yeah. of a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class and and see what what you think of it and maybe how it could be altered a little bit. Um, typically, you come in, like most exercise classes, you're going to do warm up. We'll run around the the mat a little bit. Um, we'll do some different style of jogging that will help loosen up our muscles. After that, we'll do some techniques. Um, it's it's almost like it cools us down a little bit where we all get in a circle and we watch the instructor show two to three moves usually. Um, <clears throat> and then after after that is the is the like live sparring or basically like wrestling. Um, each of these segments last between, you know, the warm-up and the, and the technique and, and – the sparring could be 30 minutes each, basically, I would say. Um, I would think that the the deep practice happens a lot during the active sparring. Um, there's a lot of opportunity for it there. Um, it's a, I think it's a little harder to, to have deep practice when you're learning a technique taught in a group setting. I don't know if that's accurate or not. No, uh, I think you're right. I think you're right. And, you know, the history of sort of education and sport and everything else shows, I think, that it is – it is difficult to learn technique in a group setting, you know, that one-on-one is, is very effective. I relate to this both from kind of the researcher angle, but also from the personal angle. I, you know, when I first year as a coach in little league, I teach everybody how to field ground balls as a group, um, given the basic technique and everybody would kind of do it as a group. Uh, the longer I've done it, the more I've realized that that's kind of a hugely inefficient way to approach the problem that as a coach, to make a connection to an individual and to be like a GPS machine on their skills, to have them do a rep and to in real time while they're doing it um, or immediately after really fix and point out where they need to be, where they need to put their bodies, where, they, where they're feeling a mistake, where what's wrong and what's right and provide really vivid, quick, personal, um, almost GPS type 
locators so that they can build the right skills, so they can make the right connections in their brain. Um, I was fortunate enough to see Tom Martinez, who's a quarterback coach to a lot of big-time NFL quarterbacks, and and to see him work with an individual, very, very focused, very, very short, vivid um, instructions, um, sort of you know, pinging them, pinging them, pinging them until they get it right, until they get home with the skill, until they get to that spot where they need to be. Um, you know, I think teaching to a group is is efficient in terms of sort of how do we use our time best, but um, finding space for that individual connection to form and to, to really personalize the instruction to each one is, is much more efficient in the long run. That makes a lot of sense to me. Another aspect of jujitsu is that we're, we're told at the beginning, leave your ego at the door. Um, we're put in situations where, um, you know, our our limbs might be threatened or we could be seriously injured if um, if your ego gets in your way and you, it doesn't allow you to quit when it's time to quit. Um, example would be I could be – I've been doing uh, jujitsu for – I think a little over 12 years, I could, I can grab a student who has two years of experience and, and get on the mat with them and, you know, having a bad day or maybe I'm, I'm tired or, or whatever. Maybe this guy's got a good part of his game that doesn't match up well with me. I could be very quickly put in a situation where I'm going to go home hurt. And, and, and the beauty of that is from my previous years of experience, I know that I, that that's not an option for me and it's okay to, to, to fail like Gretzky would fall and it would be okay for him to fail with that. Yep. Um, and I think that's part of the, one of the great things about our sport is that, um, everybody fails on a regular basis and, and we're forced to admit that to each other awesome. when, when I have to ask my opponent to stop because I don't want to get injured. So that, I think that's a, that's part of the sport that's a little bit, uh, unique, um, especially in the martial arts world. It does create learning environment, I think. Yeah, great, great environment to learn where you you can you can go to that edge and control and 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 get out of control and 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 bail. You know, you see these best the best snowboarders in the world. Um, you know, they're they're getting to be good and better and better because uh, they've got the foam pits. You know, they can they can practice these moves and build these moves bit by bit and then still land in the foam pit where they're not you know hurtling down on their head on an icy half pipe. So. Um, having that, you know, essentially what you're describing is where you can have maximum intensity with a certain degree of safety. And that's, that sounds like a fantastic learning environment. Yeah. And a lot of reps, like, like the snowboarders, like they could do that a lot of many, many times without, uh, wearing out or being beat up too bad. Yep. I've got a question for you. So we're in the, in the sparring session of the class and I've got a, a newer student who, who I'm, I'm training with. And it's it's live training, and I see they do something kind of unusual. I let it go. We we end up back in the same position. They do it again. Um, now I should probably is it a good idea for me to stop at this point and say, hey, hold on a minute, and then and then talk about that? Does that make does that make sense? Like unusual. What do you mean? You're, you're like like maybe they're doing something wrong, or they're doing something that I don't quite understand why they're doing that. Typically, I'll, I'll say, I'll say, hey, stop! Why are you putting your arm like like that? Mm-hmm. Or I could say, would it be better to say, don't put your arm like that, or would it be better to ask the question and get them to think about it? Ask the question every time. I mean, you want to you want to create a place where they are mindfully um, 
considering what they're doing and, and in control of what they're doing. And, you know, almost the, the old Socratic rule, you know, ask a question rather than dictate, um, dictate, or even better, put them in a situation where it, where the, the shortcoming of that technique reveals itself. Yeah. The more a coach can remove themselves from the equation, the better. The best games and the best learning environments teach themselves. Um, the feedback from them is, you know, it teaches. You know, for example, you know, who are the fastest learners in the world? You know, for my money, it's a 12-year-old kid on a skateboard. <laughs> you could teach jiu-jitsu the way these kids learn to skateboard. You know, just in a matter of weeks or days, they're brilliant, right? Yeah. Why is that? The reason that is is that the feedback is so rich from a skateboard. I mean, the skateboard doesn't have a coach that asks that moves your arm or your leg. The skateboard tells you. Like the skateboard throws you off if you do it wrong. So it's it's very it's very instructive. It's very beautiful, rich, clean feedback. So the more coaches can design spaces, um, whether it's jujitsu or chess, so that the game teaches the game. So that the the feedback is rich, immediate, continuous. Um, the better the learning will be in that environment. That sounds yeah. And I you take me back to when I tried to skateboard. Uh, I think I was older than twelve, and I didn't have the heart and the determination behind it. That is tough. I I, I fell like three times in a row, and I was done. <laughs> a little tiny right. pebble could could get me all messed up for a week. I didn't like that idea. Right, exactly. <laughs> so you went to a much safer, more space <laughs> Yeah, I suppose that's what I did. That's funny. Um, another beautiful thing about jujitsu, um, typically a student they start out as white belts, and then. Um, Maybe a year and a half to three years down the road, they'll be awarded their first belt, and it's a blue belt. Yep. At that point in time, they go from being a white belt like all the other guys that are white belts to um, being somebody who's going to be asked advice from other students. And they're going to almost be put in a, a, a coaching role. And you talk a lot about uh, when you teach something, you, that helps your understanding as well. Yep. Yep, exactly. It's a beautiful place to be, you know. To really understand something is, you know, to teach something is to really understand it. It gives you a whole new view of it and to be able to do this very complicated thing where you express it in words and interact with other people so that they can achieve that same move is, uh, it's complex. And you see it, you see the power of that in everything from, you know, some of the places that I visited to the way Montessori schools are structured where you have older kids teaching younger kids and, and everybody benefits. So it sounds like a brilliant setup to me. Yeah, I, I mean that's there's so many reasons why I enjoy it, but that's that's part of it. Yeah, um, I'll find myself trying to explain a technique that I do, and I don't know. It's hard to explain because I haven't thought about it, mm-hmm. and and, it, and then by the end of it, I think I've learned it. You know, I'm not the best teacher in the world, so I think I've taught it better than I've taught to myself as I've tried to show it than than I show the other student. There's a there's a common saying that hit the jiu jitsu uh, community a few years back. It's the 10,000 hours rule. And I hear that talked about a lot in, in I don't know if misused is the right word, but people want to do uh, 10,000 and then insert blank technique here. You know, like it'd be 10,000 tennis swings or 10,000 serves or 10,000 whatever, or 10,000 hours. They look at that and they calculate, okay, well, I'm going to be training two hours a night, five times a week, and they figure out how long until I'm at that world-class level. But with the idea of deep practice, how does that 
factor into the or change the ten thousand hours? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, since you know the ten thousand hour rule has kind of moved through the culture and has caused a reaction where a lot of people have responded exactly as you described. Where all of a sudden it's like, oh, what does my odometer say? You know, yeah, like, oh, I'm only you know, and they start counting hours, and that's an understandable response. But the the real lesson is that quality is the important thing, not quantity. Um, you know, the story of Clarissa that I, that I mentioned earlier, she accomplished more in five minutes practicing deeply than a month of shallow practice would have, according to the experiment, would have accomplished. So the, the temptation, if you're just logging hours, is to, is to sort of practice shallowly. Um, the, the real skill happens when you do a lot of pretty, pretty high quantity of super high quality practice and spending a lot of time designing that practice, making it purposeful, um, spending time figuring out what the learning space needs to do, what your goal of that day would be, what your goal of this week, what your goal of this month and, and achieving that in a very deep focused, purposeful way is the way forward. So the 10,000 hour rule sometimes can send people running down the wrong path where they're just trying to accumulate hours, but a shallow hour doesn't help you at all. In yeah. fact, you know, you're better off skipping, you know, skipping practice and being well rested, <laughs> um, you know, and use, use it in some other way to benefit your life. Because if you're just going to go out there and go through the motions, it, you're not changing your brain. You're not changing your muscles. You're not, you're not doing anything. You're just logging hours. So, and you see that in a lot of the, a lot of the talent hotbeds I visited, they didn't practice that many hours. Like, you know, the best soccer players, some of the best soccer players in the world come from this place in Barcelona. Uh, and they practice like an hour a day. And I come here and they're soccer players that, you know, if you're a good soccer player in America, you know, you're logging twice that many hours, three times that many hours. Well, they practice in, in this very, very focused way. And it's, um, it's, it's, and they also think about it all the time. And they're also immersed in this environment where they're, you know, they're part of this academy. But I guess the lesson is, you know, quant- quality beats quantity. Um, and the best of all is, of course, both. Yeah. But it's important that people don't just show up, clock in, and crank out as many um, reps in a certain technique and count that as I'm closer to my goal. Um, it's crazy. It, it, right. but, but it happens all the time. And, and I'm sure it happens in a lot of other sports as well. But that has hit that has hit the community um, pretty hard and, and you just see people trying to do, you know, 10,000 of this technique, you know, I'm going to do 10,000 in a year and that's fine. But if you do it and they may not even do doing them very well, I mean, 10,000 bad reps is not a good rep. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. You, you did in, uh, in the little book of talent, you, you quoted Bruce Lee, uh, I fear not the man that practices 10,000 kicks one time, but the man who practices one kick 10,000 times that that is a common martial art quote that we that i think most people deal with in the industry of martial arts but in jiu-jitsu has has changed a lot in the past with youtube there are new techniques put on youtube on a daily basis like new techniques that that world champions will show like this is a new thing and it's so tempting for students um who are at the beginning level to, to watch these techniques and try to implement them into their game. Um, how important is it for, would you think for a student to focus more on the fundamentals than every day, try to bring in a new YouTube idea taught by a legitimate person, but still without laying the foundation of, 
um, of the game down. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, our media environment is very tempting to kind of you, you see all this stuff coming at you like a candy store, and it's fun to play in that, and that's and that it helps motivation. There's a lot of fun reasons to do that, but if if jujitsu is like anything else, and I think it is, um, the better you get, the more important the fundamentals become. You know, when you look at really good performers and the time and attention and care that they put into the just most, you know, stone cold fundamental stuff. I mean, what does Peyton Manning do before a game every day? Possibly every day. Um, he practices his footwork, you know, one, two, three steps back. You know, he, he does the most, most basic stuff. Yo-Yo Ma, the cellist, you know, before he'll, he'll do a practice, he'll just try to play one pure note, you know, play that one pure note so there is a tremendous the higher the higher the performer becomes the more uh, important the fundamentals become yeah you're, you're literally and one way to conceive of it is like you know in, in your in your brain you're building this tree and and the core is the fundamentals and all the branches are all the stuff that builds off those fundamentals like if your footwork is wrong you cannot throw a good pass in, in the NFL like you have to have good footwork if you're going to throw the proper long pass, um, that footwork is the trunk of the tree and, and the little wrinkles you can put on the way you spin the ball, the way you loft the ball is the, is the, is the, the branches, right? So the way to conceive, and this literally sort of is in your brain is as an electrical circuit, you know, picture the wires connecting in this big trunk and then these branches all around it. So, you know, if you want to be good, you got to build the trunk. You got to focus on the trunk. You got to make sure that is totally strong because everything depends on it, literally, like not just metaphorically, but literally. If you cannot do those fundamental things really, really, really well, if you cannot not do them well, you know, um, yeah. that is, that's the, that's where you want to be. So, so that you can add things on and layer things on. And when you do go to add those things on, they'll get add on, they'll get added on quickly, effortlessly, the fundamentals, because the fundamentals are, are a strong foundation. That's a, that's a beautiful analogy of, of the fundamentals and, uh, and adding on to them. I like that, the big strong tree with a trunk. That's so vivid. Um, you, you mentioned that when you, when teaching to, to use pictures to teach. Um, I got that picture in my head and, it, and it's simple for me to understand. Yep. We, we've talked already about um, the sweet spot being that you know that area where you're you're reaching for, um, to you're pushing yourself a little bit past where you're able to go. In the comfort zone is where, um, in the in my industry, maybe I'm, um, sparring with a, a newer student, and I'm and it's, I'm not really pushed at all. Um, now the survival zone. That's the other the other spot that you have. Uh, how would you describe that? Survival zone is where you're kind of flailing, you yeah. Know, where, where you're not, um, where, where you're out of your depth, you know, where you not you're not in control. Uh, you know, learning happens when you're sort of in control, but sort of not. And and flailing and survival is just when you're you're barely hanging on. No learning can happen there. You're just trying, yeah. trying to get get from A to B. One of the the amazing things about jujitsu is that it's such a it, it's not a small sport by any means, but you could I can go into the gym of world class competitors. And they will train with me. I mean, I can't play basketball with Michael Jordan. This is not going to happen. But I could, yeah. I could train with world class competitors just by showing up. Yes. So I've, I've been put in this survival zone, and it's, it's like they're not even doing it, the same thing I'm doing. It's they're not jujitsu anymore. It's what they do, and I don't even know jujitsu. Yeah. And it's all I learn is respect for the sport, I guess, if I learn anything. Right. But um, 
so that is a is a place where I, I think a lot of people would get frustrated if they're there all the time. Exactly. And for the the new student, um, it's important to not be put in the survival zone all the time. You, you need to have people who are willing to tone it back a little bit and to 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 put that newer student in the sweet spot, the just outside their current ability, and have them grow. That's why coaching is so important, and a good coach can can instinctively locate that spot and isolate that spot and grow that spot. You talk a little bit about early success is a weak um, predictor of a long ter- long term success. Pardon mm-hmm. me. Um, so, yeah. what advice would you give a, a student who's going to go compete for the first time? It's interesting to to really when you look at those moments can sometimes be sort of forks in the road. Like if they have a bad experience, they might, they might quit. Yeah. So beforehand, um, I think spending some time kind of reflecting and trying to, you know, get in your, look at yourself in the windshield a little bit in the mirror and try to figure out, okay, where, where do I want to go with this? And, and if you're sort of committed to it, if you're saying, look, this is something that I want to do for a long time. Um, I'm, I'm willing. Uh, and when you look at good performers, they're, they're so willing to fail. Um, you know, there's a great, there's a great sit down thing. And it's just, if you like comedy, you'll like it. It's this, I think it's called talking funny. It's with Louis CK, Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, and Ricky Gervais. And they all talk about their first night as a com as a comedian, like their first night doing stand up. And all of them had the same response. They all were terrible their first time out. They were absolutely terrible. But they were so thrilled and honored and excited to kind of join that enchanted circle of people that did that. Like they felt, you know, they were horrified at how good, how poorly they did. But they were also incredibly invigorated by the idea that they joined this club, this incredible, you know, group, this incredible identity that they wanted to have. Um, and so to spend some time like genuinely thinking about this group that you're joining and, and feeling, you know, connected to them and, and you know, not – getting hung up on the result, but, but get sort of focused on, you know, where you want to be in the long, in the long run, because what happens on that first day, you're not really in control of very much of it. You know, uh, there's another guy on the mat, anything could happen, but, um, you know, really thinking about it in long term and really think about it in terms of, you know, where this is headed. You focus a, a lot on the practice the the learning deep practice um, of these talent hotbeds. I want to take you a little bit out of that. And what is going on in the mind of the competitor of a top level competitor when they compete? Not not before the competition, but are they are they focused on on I got to win, I got to win, I got to win, or are they focused on I uh, perform perform at my best ability, or or what do you think is a competitors? running through their mind as they uh, top competitor. I mean, it's interesting. I, I would say the short answer is not very much is running through their mind. Um, okay. When you look at, at good performance and you know, they've, they've thrown some good golfers, musicians, ball players, and, and MRI machines. And you can tell they you can take sort of a high level amateur and a pro and you can put them next to each other, scan their brains and you can tell the pros brain right away because not much is happening. Huh? It's like that, the myelin, like when I'm walking, I'm pretty much a pro at walking by now. They're not thinking. They're not saying, oh, what should I do if – and they're not you know, consumed by a lot of options or a lot of anxieties. I mean their mind is kind of of empty and they're allowing themselves to react and and do what they've – and employ the skills that they've spent time and practice building. So it's very different than 
that mindset of deep practice where you are kind of, you know, highly attuned to the, to the, you know, to the mistakes you're making. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a quieter place. Cool. Um, what's next for you? What are you working on now? I know you have a website that I am looking at all the time and you, you post a lot of articles and some fun videos to watch. Um, are you working on anything in particular? Yeah, I'm doing this. I'm doing this book about kind of the science of group success, and I'm doing some consulting, and so it's been um, yeah, it's been it's kind of kind of a variety of stuff. Mostly just being a dad, getting ready for for summer if it ever comes. <laughs> if it ever comes, what uh, any idea when your book will be out? It'll be a little while. I'm still kind of midterm, mid you know, kind of midstream on the reporting process. Are, are you yeah. finding a, a large difference between uh, a group? having success and individual people having success? Are there a lot of commonalities? It's pretty different. It's a really different animal because it's all about kind of the connections between people and, you know, with certain groups and we've all felt it, you know, you might walk into a classroom or walk into a restaurant or walk into a business and there's this sense that, um, you know, there's great chemistry, there's great cohesion, it's a great feel. Um, well, it turns out all that sort of comes from somewhere. So, you know, that that mystery is what this book is about. What's that made of? Uh, what makes those places tick? Um, what makes, you know, two plus two equal 10? That, that I'm just thinking about, you know, not just a book again, but you know, when I walk into the, the, to the classroom, there's a group of people there that are going to help me train and I'm going to help them train. And, and each person has their own attributes. You're going to have a, a doctor, a lawyer. You're going to have a guy that works at the fast food place, a guy in his sixties and seventies. And, and the the group, um, and I'm sure you know. Obviously, some groups perform better than others, and it'll be interesting to. I'm already looking forward to reading that book and, and translating it into my world. Well, I'll, I'll get done as fast as I can. <laughs> well, I know you won't rush it. It'll be. Uh, I've in, I've enjoyed your books a lot, so it'll it'll be uh, it'll be an industry changer, I'm sure, and it'll it'll be something that is well respected in in the community of of coaching and, and just learning, I guess. Thank you. I really appreciate that, Byron. How would uh, somebody get a hold of you or your website, or how could we? How could bet, people get yeah, more of you? Uh, the website is called thetalentcode.com, spelled just like you would think it would be spelled. And there's a thing there where you they can click and send me an email, and I'll get it. And you've got your books are available everywhere. Amazon They're is around, yep. one's called the Talent Code, the other's called the Little Book of Talent. Well, thank you for this. I really appreciate talking with you. My pleasure, Byron. It's really been fun. Well, I want to really thank uh, Daniel Coyle for giving us the time and the, for the interview. I hope you guys learned a lot. I really found it interesting when he was talking about um, how your fundamentals are like a big tree trunk. And then the things you learn uh, add, that add on to that will be like branches that come out. And uh, I'd never heard that analogy before. Yeah, you know, uh, I had a, a speaker, uh, a business speaker who was a basketball coach, you know, kind of talking about that. And when Daniel Coyle, you know, kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, the seminar I was at. But, you know, I was thinking of like the uh, the roots are kind of like the instructor. You know, the instructor is giving you, you know, the teaching you, you know, uh, giving you the fundamentals and everything. And, the, you know, everything above ground, you know, the trunk and the branches, you know, that's you. You know, there's all that stuff that goes on behind the scenes, which is the roots that are underground, uh, people teaching you. But, uh, you know, only what is shown, you know, is above ground, and, and that's all you right there on the mat. That that makes it even better. That makes the analogy even more clear in my head. You know, above ground you see the, the grappler on the mat competing. Um, 
and then underground is the is the team, the instructors, the the learning process that that nourishes the the grappler that you see performing. That's that's cool, Gary. Yeah. Well, you know what I really liked about this is, you know, it's just a different concept. You know, normally somebody teaches us a move, and we're like, oh, cool, we got another move to our toolbox and this and that. But you know, if you really think about it, you know, he's teaching us you know, how to grow, how to, you know, use our brain, how to, how to, what's the secret of talent, how do we unlock it, you know, and I just, that's a, a different way of thinking, but, you know, that's how you're going to get better, and, and you know, just after listening to him, and, and I know you've always been passionate about this guy, and just having you talk about him, I, I've already logged on online to Amazon, or, you know, to check out his book, and uh, I'm actually going to get it, so uh, it's going to be the next book I read, so uh, I can't wait, and, and I can't wait to to use and use it and uh, see the results on the mat. Yeah, all his books are available on Amazon. I'll put some links to those guys if you want to use those. That's fine. It doesn't really matter. Uh, how you? I mean, just type in talent, talent in Amazon, and he'll pop right up. Um, I'd swing by and check out his website, Gary. He's got he posts stuff regularly on there. And and if you guys want to website, um, yeah, the website is thetalentcode.com. So he's got he posts there fairly regularly. He'll he'll have like uh, real interesting videos about um, different different teams that perform well and 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 what they're doing differently. And it's just. You know, lots of coaching advice and tips and about developing developing your team and developing individuals and their talent. So I definitely swing by there. If he's got a thing on there, we could email him, tell him you heard him on the podcast, tell him that you appreciate him taking his. I know he's a busy guy, uh, taking the time out and talk with us and, and help uh, us develop the sport and, and become better learners. Yep, that was a great interview, and uh, I know I enjoyed it, and, uh, and I guarantee you, everybody's going to pick something up from this. Join us next week, guys. Um, Mr. Coyle was kind enough to give us a quote of the week, and we'll be airing that next week. Um, it's in his books if you want to find it there. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll get to hear it from the man himself. It's going to be fun, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit too. So that's on next week's episode. It's just He'll be introducing the quote of the week. Um, if you guys uh, enjoyed the podcast, we'd appreciate the five-star reviews on iTunes. It means a lot to us. Let's us know we're doing a good job and helps get the word out to other people who are looking for us. Our, our sponsor is Fujisports.com, um, capital BJJ Brick. First uh, B in Brick is capitalized as well. Um, get your 10% off, and, and if you're new to this sport or you're just hearing about it for the first time, do get, check out the all-around gi. It's a great – you can't go wrong with that if that's your first gi it, it, or the or your fifth gi. It's, it's a great performing gi. It's comfortable, uh, very reasonably priced. Um, it lasts you a long time. And then for all you guys, uh, uh, no-gi players, which uh, I normally am a no-gi guy, uh, they've got great uh, grappling shorts and great rash guards. So don't forget to check those out too. Absolutely. And, if, yeah, if you don't know what no-gi is and you're that new, go check out that article we talked about earlier about your first day at Jiu-Jitsu. It'll, it'll help you to find that. <laughs> yep, and it is not a no-gi. It's no-gi. <laughs> uh, we do have a Facebook page. Just look for BJJ Brick on facebook and we'll be right right up for you our email is bjjbrick at gmail.com shoot us any question or article or anything you want to say we'll be happy to to respond to that gary it was fun i i really uh really happy to have such a uh well-known person on the podcast um not just in the juicy community but just in in uh training to, so uh yeah you know, he, like you said, he's a New York Times bestseller, you know, and, and he's got that uh, Lance Armstrong book out there, too. And, 
you know, he's got a he's got a lot of stuff there on the market, and uh, you know, hopefully, uh, it'll uh, all help our training and uh, uh, make us, you know, not just better grapplers, but you know, better at our job and, and everything we do. Yeah, and he shoot him, get, guys, go to the website, shoot him an email. Like that's how I got a hold of him. He uh, he he reads all his emails. He really cares about helping people. Like I imagine if you you tell him, hey, thanks for doing the interview with the guys on the on the BJJ Brick podcast. I imagine he'll probably respond to you and, and, and be happy that it helped you. And, and that's encouraging for him to hear something like that as well. Yeah, and, you know, you just gave me that website. I'm actually checking out the talentcode.com right now. And, you know, the website is just uh, a wealth of information there. So, uh, you know, check out the website, send him, a, send him questions, and uh, also go out and buy his book. I, I guarantee it'll help us all. Yeah, and it's just a fun read either. I mean... It's just fascinating stuff, but it will help your jiu-jitsu game. It's nothing to do about nothing to do with jiu-jitsu, but it will help you out. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys, we'll catch you next week. We've enjoyed having you guys on. Yep, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian jiu-jitsu is to do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, and actually, it's kind of funny because the quote of the week for your show, which will be aired on the 19th, coming up this Monday, is, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence. Ah, nice. it's, in the, it's in the opening cover of your book. I can't believe it because I had a uh, – this guy's name is Ryan Hall. He's one of the top American competitors. And I said, ask him for the quote, and he, said, he gave that last week. And so yeah. I'm looking at – oh, there it is. It's like a perfect matchup from one episode to the other. That was, that was meant really to nice. be, wasn't it? <laughs> so – 